If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is the Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk. TNT. TNT. Hello, wonderful people. How are you doing? I hope you had a magnificent weekend. Good morning, good evening, good night to you in the chat on Rumble and on YouTube. You can join us on many different platforms, including right here. So on Friday, I reviewed the new British TV drama, Breathtaking. And I want to thank you all for the phenomenal response to it. People are grateful that I watched it because you don't have to, or rather so you don't have to. I consider it a public service, so you're very welcome. Welcome. This weekend, Dr. Clark has been posting her absolute disdain at the backlash to her story. She's moaned about Daily Mail and people questioning the veracity of her backstory, and she has made veiled threats about suing various people. Now, several medics I've talked to believe that breathtaking will have the impact of actually unifying people. It will encourage doctors and nurses to speak out because so many are absolutely mortified at the portrayal of them and their profession in breathtaking. And people tell me that ITV and the writers and Dr. Rachel Clark over-egged the pudding. But of course, things have changed in the four years since Rachel Clark captures that foolish period of C-19 when perfectly innocent people believed the fear-mongering. Yes, times really have changed. This week, I'll be bringing on at least two people who spoke out over the last three, four years, both of them having worked in healthcare during COVID, we will get their take on the changing landscape and why breathtaking is actually breathtaking for many, many people. The one part I didn't manage to mention on Friday when discussing the play was, and simply because time didn't allow it, and that was how people like I am portrayed in the play. Us dissenters, those who dared to put our heads above the parapet and say something's wrong here, what's going on? People like me, Bob Moran, like the woman in Wales who ran an independent cinema and was showing um, COVID questioning films. Um, people like Dr. Mohammed Adil, who was treated appallingly by the GMC. Equally, Dr. Sam White. All of these people will be joining us at some stage. I know them well. So the final part of that three-parter, breathtaking, as I say, was about the dissenters. We see a doctor telling his his mum to ignore doubters on social media and to stay indoors until she's had a vaccine. We see the medics watching a video of a man in an empty hospital saying they had all been lied to. They depicted a hospital visitor taking off her mask and calling staff sheep. The dominant narrative really was about how hospital staff are angels and those who questioned them were deranged devils. But despite all this, breathtaking has not gone down well at all. The backlash is already significant and it's not got into its stride yet. Somehow, I think the programme makers and Dr. Clark did not get the response to the play they had anticipated, and I suspect they haven't seen anything yet, and serves them damn well right, frankly. Now, good to see Hollywood actress Florence Pugh's father, Clinton, rallying against low-traffic neighbourhoods, a.k.a. 15-minute cities. He describes them as disastrous to local businesses, and he's absolutely right. And that includes his own restaurant in Oxford, England. Do tell us how LTNs are impacting your neighbourhood. I've mentioned before on the show that uh, they did a consultation in my area. I live in Greater London, Southwest London, area called Teddington, which used to be a bit like the TV capital. Um, and uh, so they did a consultation for LTNs and we 
almost universally rejected it. So they did a reconsultation because they are determined to push these things through one way or another. Oh, yes, they are. And uh, while we've been struggling with the cost of living crisis, let me reassure you that corporations have been making hay on the back of our misery. Oh, yes, indeed. British gas profits leapt from, uh, you might need to sit down for this, 72 million in a year to 751 million. Think about that. Think about that. Outrageous. Worse as well. Tesco, you know, every little helps those people. Six months profit. Uh, recent figures released from 252 million to 929 million. Good to see not everybody is struggling with the cost of living crisis. I mean, I mean, honestly, we really seriously should be just like boycotting, boycotting, boycotting. It's absolutely outrageous. What say you in the chat this morning? What say you? Um, good morning to you all. I hope you're well. The chat sucks. I can't see what say they in the chat. But on that note, I'm going to go get Gemma. Getting straight to the facts. Enough with the lies. We need facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And we're back and we are alive and kicking with Miss Dynamite herself. Good morning, Gemma Cooper. <laughs> Good morning, Sonia. Morning. How are you? I'm great, actually. I'm really feeling alive. I think last week really like it just refreshed me so much just seeing the response to TNT out there on the streets, Gemma. It really made me realise that what we've got is, is something phenomenal. It really is truly different. Well, I think we're reflecting the public mood. I'm so encouraged by what you said there about uh, breathtaking because we talked about breathtaking on Friday, didn't we? The, the huge uh, division it had caused on social media and obviously looking now like the division it's causing within you know, British public, which is absolutely great. And the mood has changed over the last uh, four years. And we did kind of we did kind of push the kind of proposal that Dr. Rachel Clark might want to come on TNT and, and kind of to give her side of the story. We're all about free speech here. She'll get she'll get a, a, a welcome of sorts. <laughs> she'll also get a grinning. I just wonder if she's got the courage to come on. And I would very much like to see her apologize to Bob Moran for getting him fired from the Daily Telegraph. You know, she's all about, you know, positivity and, and life and, and, and helping people, except, you know, when they disagree, in which case she's happy to see people disagree destroyed. Bit of a paradox there, isn't there? Uh, indeed. And in fact, some viewers took that message of ours where we invited her onto the show and they were tweeting it to her saying, you know, you've been invited onto Sonia Poulton's show. And absolutely, we continue to extend that offer. Dr. Rachel Clark, you are more than welcome to sit here. In fact, you could even be interviewed by Gemma and I at the same time. Wouldn't that be fun? A conversation in the round involving all three of us. I know you'd be up for it, Gemma. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. I can't, sorry. I can imagine the scenes there. Yes, yes, quite. Uh, anyway, on to some uh, news, which I think is very relevant because it is the legacy. This is the legacy of the last four years. And we are still feeling this. We're still feeling it, even though they want to throw the whole last four years down the memory hole and pretend it never happened in some quarters, you know, a bit of a blip in, in the human history. No, this legacy is still ongoing. And this relates to a row that's blown up today with Sadiq Khan, who's employed uh, an ostensibly what's called a nighttime czar to look after the nation's nightlife, the capital's 
nightlife. Now she's in charge of 32 boroughs uh, in Greater London, uh, uh, Central London, and the Greater London areas, and she's in charge of you know bars and nightclubs and, and and kind of restaurants as well. She's in charge of making London the capital city it should be, a buzzing, vibrant place to to visit and to go out, especially at night when you think about the history of London's nightclub scene. You know, envy of the world at one point. You know, Ministry of Sound, all of those places. Um, however, London is losing its bars and clubs at a record rate over the last three years. Over the last three years, it's lost uh, more than a thousand bars and clubs. And yet this nighttime czar, she's she's off jetting all around the world. She's been to Australia. She's been to Sydney. There's photographs of her. She's been to Spain. She's been to Italy to look at how they do it and then bring that message of like vibrant nightlife back to our capital, except it's not working. Now, this story uh, of how many bars and clubs London is losing, and this is London, you know, this is London. This is when you think of London, the 1960s and Carnaby Street and our music and our fashion and our nightlife. You know, we were we have been at the pinnacle for so many years. Um, but it comes off the back of a story I covered last week with Rick Munn on Locked and Loaded about the, the decline in the great British pub UK wide. We are losing pubs at a rate that I've never seen before. Nearly 30 a day are closing and some towns and cities and villages in the UK, which were famous for their pubs, um, you know, maybe had 20, maybe even 30, now have things like three or four. Um, we are losing connection and connectivity. We are losing these spaces, not just in London, but in the UK as a whole, of places where people can get together, socialize, let their hair down, forget about the cares of the world and connect with each other on a level that they don't at work. They don't in the family environment within the home and we're losing them. Um, this uh, nighttime czar, she's called Amy LeMay. She's also a BBC DJ, she works for Six Music, so I don't know how she finds the time to jet around the world, work for the BBC, and you know, oversee bars and restaurants and clubs in the UK's 32 boroughs. Um, but apparently, she does, and it's it's really put Sadiq Khan's spending habits under the spotlight again because he's just spent six million rebranding the Overground. He spent loads, you know, God knows how much he spent on that firework display on New Year's Eve with his name branded all over it. That came in for huge criticism. And Miss Amy LeMay is on uh, 117,000 pounds a year ostensibly to make London the best place to go out in the world. It's not working though. Uh, 1,165 venues closed and that figure shows no sign of improvement despite all her research trips to Australia and Europe. I mean, what a great job if you can get it, frankly. But I've noticed this, Gemma, it, is, it really is upsetting. We had Godfrey Bloom on the other week, former MEP, and he was talking quite rightly about how pubs have traditionally been the heart of the community, pretty much like post offices, you know, in their own way. And uh, bit by bit, of course, we're seeing the phasing out of both. But that that is really upsetting. Many people around COVID believe that there was this sort of restriction on us getting together simply for that reason that, that you outlined about pubs. People come together from all different places and all different walks of life. And, you know, we can really sort of chew the fat and talk about life. And, and it's almost like they want to get rid of that, that community, that coming together. Do you, do you get a sense of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the plans of the pandemic. I absolutely do, because uh, pubs were demonised. They really were demonised. And if you do, did go uh, when you were allowed, inverted commas, it was such an unpleasant experience of sit down, you, you're fine, you're safe and stand up, you'll catch you'll catch COVID. Or, you know, you're at 10 o'clock at night and COVID's waiting outside the door, you know, because that's the curfew time and he's going to get you if, if it's one minute past 10. You were, People were so gaslit and bamboozled about going out uh, and frightened if they were in that mindset of believing what they were told. I think 
think that legacy has lived on. I do think that also the rising costs of everything are contributing to certainly pubs outside the capital closing. But it's London. You know, if you look at this, you know, she's employed on an eye-watering salary to keep the nightlife going. The nightlife is declining at a rate that we've never seen before in the capital. And I absolutely do think this was part of the plan to reduce spaces where you can get together in a, in a headspace and an environment that has nothing to do with work has nothing to do with family, has nothing to do with responsibility. You know, if you get rid of those places, you keep people in a state of keyed upness because there's no pressure valve, there's no release. You could argue that sporting arenas are, are some venues or, or gigs and concerts are venues where you can let off in that way, but you don't really because you're not talking to the person next to you, you're focusing on the action on the pitch or the person on the stage. So I absolutely do think this is deliberate. I think that there will be many people possibly in the chat this morning that agree with me here in the UK. These are sacred spaces. They're part of the fabric of our culture. We are a drinking nation. We are a socializing nation. Problem is now, since the scandemic, we haven't got anywhere to do it. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right about the chat, by the way. Hope, love and peace says that's what the last four years have been about, keeping like-minded people apart. And uh, the, the, these are, this is the reality, isn't it? Sadiq Khan is in for a, a very bumpy year, in my opinion. Obviously, we've got uh, the London mayoral elections coming up in May. And in fact, tomorrow I will be joined by a potential, well, by a candidate for the London mayoral elections, offering something completely different to, to Sadiq Khan. Sadiq Khan has just, he, he, he doesn't have a good name amongst many people in London. But the problem is, Gemma, is that oftentimes there's such useless people who are going up to be candidates for London uh, mayor. Like, for example, no no disrespect to you, Count Bimface, but who is going to vote for Count Bimface as one example? And oftentimes London mayoral election attracts quite jokey candidates. And that's really the only reason that he's managed to survive because he's not popular. He really isn't. He's completely ruled by the whole kind of diversity and inclusion and net zero. You know, Sadiq Khan is just, I've got, I, I must show you a picture at some stage, Gemma, of me doorstepping Sadiq Khan. And he's literally got his head in his hands because he realizes that I'm about to ask him the questions that he never gets asked um, uh, because they always manage to sidestep these things. Yes, indeed, they do. So yes, you're absolutely right. I do believe it's about keeping us apart. I, this, this Amy, this Amy woman, goodness sake. And also, uh, Gemma, I'm not being funny, but but Lon London has often been considered to be one of the greatest nightlife cities in the world on par with New York. So, you know, we have to ask, Sadiq Khan has been in place for how long now? I mean, uh, you know, at least, what, six years? At least. And uh, what has he done? You know, we, we, we see lots of rainbow zebra crossings everywhere that horses won't go across. So, you know, and blind do and uh, dogs for the blind have a problem with. So uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if he manages to get back in again. I really would. And I think that this is the icing on the cake because despite what everybody says, us Brits love our pubs, don't we, Gemma? We do, and we love we love going out as well. I mean, I do think there's a, a just a, before we wrap this segment up, you know, there's the question about the younger generation now, the influence of digital technology on on habits, social habits. Because um, I've got quite a lot of friends who are DJs, and and they, they still DJ now um, because it's my generation, our generation, you know, in our fifties that loved going out. You know, in the eighties and nineties and early noughties, you know, clubs and and festivals and parties, they're a massive thing, and it's still my generation that goes out. And he said the younger generation, they don't go out, they stay at home and they socialize via their screens. Um, so that's kind of a, another element. But of course, that's to do with the scandemic as well. They, that young people were isolated from each other. They were learning on screens. They weren't at school anymore. That bit, that connection 
that connection, oh. you know, it's, it's been destroyed, I think, already amongst young people. So they don't feel the need to go out and leave home and let their hair down like we did. Um, and that's a vital part of growing up. And that that's, I, I truly believe that is also part of what this deconnection agenda, the lack of spaces to to dance, to, to have a few drinks, to let loose, to cut loose, vitally important for the human psyche. And there's nowhere to do it. And the younger generation, they're so brainwashed by digital technology in the last few years, they don't even realize how important it is because they've never done it. So Absolutely. if I had kids now, I'd be like, you go out, you rebel, go to a nightclub, you know, I'd be like, go on, do it. It's hugely, hugely important. But there we go. That's the state in London and, and with pubs and clubs across the UK as we speak on a Monday. Absolutely brilliant. You're, you're absolutely right. The younger generation have been conditioned. Nothing less than brilliant from Gemma Cooper this morning, Monday, as indeed every day. We'll see you tomorrow, Gemma. I'll be right back. TNT's Dean Mackin. Some would argue where it comes to Julian Assange, he has more than done his time, whether that be self-imposed or where he currently finds himself locked up. But just that time that he spent in the Ecuadorian embassy, that was way more time than he ever should have served. And what did he do? He told the truth. Somehow you would think if you were new to this world, if you were a visiting alien, if you were a child who was growing up in this world, you would learn quickly that if you tell the truth, if you advocate for what's right, you'll be punished. Apparently, that's the lesson to be learned. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. At the top of the hour, we'll keep on top of the news. It's the most important thing we can do. On today's News Talk, TNT Radio. We are indeed today's news talk, TNT Radio. And if you like what we're doing and you're able to support us, there are a multitude of ways to do so. You can donate to TNT. Just go to tntradio.live and the donate button is at the top of the page next to the contact details. You can also buy merchandise at the TNT store. If you're unable to financially support us, then you can support us by joining the conversation, sharing our shows and playback links, posting about TNT on social media media. There are numerous ways to show us that the TNT army is in full effect because we know you are and we appreciate you greatly for that. Thank you. And I'm going to bring in my next guest. Some interesting conversations ahead here. Interestingly, my next guest was also my first guest or at least one of my first guests on my first show, Jeffrey Peel. Good morning to you, Jeff. Good morning, Sonia. It's great to be here again. Absolutely brilliant to have you. Of course, Jeff is into tech marketing. He's a writer. He's the editor of The New Era. He was all about free thinking and democracy, things being decentralized, you know, decentralized big tech, decentralized big pharma, decentralized big government. The future, as Jeff says, is decentralized. And indeed, I would fully support that. So talking about which, there is a man Jeff. In fact, I think he's rumoured to be certainly, if not the, one of the wealthiest human beings on planet Earth. I am, of course, referring to Elon Musk. Elon Musk, who has his multitude of fingers in a multitude of 
pies and looks to be expanding. There is a suggestion now that Elon Musk will have not only a new um, email, but a new search engine. This is in response to Google's Gemini, which the AI, which is proving to be horrendously woke, as for example, and I think this was brought to Elon's attention. Um, they asked Gemini a question that if they could stop a nuclear apocalypse by misgendering Caitlyn Jenner, of course, Caitlyn Jenner is formerly Bruce Jenner, the uh, father of the uh, Jenner clan associated with the Kardashian clan. And they said, should they do that? Should they misgender Caitlyn Jenner in order to stop a nuclear apocalypse? And the response from Gen uh, Gemini was no one, no. You should not misgender Caitlyn Jenner to prevent a nuclear apocalypse, which sort of tells us everything we need to know, Jeff. But really, quite seriously, what do you think about Elon Musk forming a new search engine and email? Well, I think it's all a, a great big setup. It's a it's yet it's it's the latest psyop. You know, the, the we're expected to believe that Google developed Gemini and um, and didn't fully realize that it was going to be so woke. Uh, of course, it developed it specifically because it would be woke and there would be this outcry because it's yet the next example of the the kind of two tribe narrative that they set up these ridiculous scenarios and people get very very bothered about the fact that the thing is so woke on the anti-woke side you know the the alt-right or whatever and uh and then of course on the left they're saying oh no 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 we we need we we justify this because of you know diversity equity and inclusion principles etc these people have been underrepresented in society up to this point therefore they need to be but so they create this sort of ridiculous false narrative and, and argument and gets people very very hot and excited and of course then elon musk is the great savior apparently of free speech rides into the fray and says oh no problem. I can develop a, a search engine that is wonderfully non-biased and um, will solve all of these problems and reintroduce free speech. But of course, Twitter is the organization that stifled free speech, censored, uh, deplatformed um, throughout the entire uh, lockdown period, you know, infiltrated by the CIA and FBI. Um, and then was sort of rebranded under Musket as Twitter 2.0 and then X as being something different from the old Twitter. But of course, it's all the same investors, all of the same people who are involved in Twitter 1.0 are now involved in, in Twitter 2.0. It's still funded largely by advertising, increasingly by advertising. Uh, and and of course, the any any bias uh, that exists as far as Google's platforms are concerned um, are are there largely because they have to satisfy the whims of the, the major advertisers who who pay the bills. But there's another aspect to this as well. I think both um, both Twitter and Google are, are essentially fronts for uh, for for deep state. Um, they continue to be, and um, and they are essentially arms of government these days. You know, when Ed Snowden was exposing the relationship between the United Kingdom and the United States in terms of the operations of the various uh, security organizations uh, act, acting under the guise, really, of big tech. Um, it, it showed very clearly that these these organizations were captured and would pretty much do anything that was required of them by the by the intelligence services. 
Um, and that that included monitoring and, and invasion of privacy and uh, all of those nefarious activities that we know they, they routinely uh, engage in. I, I noted a very interesting uh, tweet that you retweeted. By the way, we don't call them X's, do we? We don't. We we still say tweets. So it didn't manage to fulfil that plan quite completely. But one of the tweets that you retweeted was from C.J. Hopkins saying, "I have to tip my hat to Elon Musk. The man is a limited hangout machine. In a few months or years, his cultists will be as obse obsequiously thanking him for rescuing AI from the forces of wokeness, like they're thanking him now for saving Twitter." There's more than a ring of truth about that uh, tweet isn't there jeff absolutely it's a it's a classic limited hangout it it kind of works to kind of reframe the narrative you know to create a new overton window um to to say right uh this is this is dreadful this is terrible uh but i'm going to fix it um so they they create a limited hangout by saying well we understand how why people would be absolutely shocked and stunned at this type of activity uh, and we're going to fix it and it happens all the time you know we see it Happening, for example, uh, you know, um, you mentioned at the start of the program the uh, Big Brother Watch uh, report uh, that was produced. That often we get organisations that are set up to do certain things to, to protect free speech. For example, we held in the Free Speech Union event recently in Belfast that I I, I appeared in Abby Roberts' program to discuss that as well. And again, the free speech is reframed in the context of woke. Um, so. You're suddenly free speech is all just about woke it's about nothing else it's not about the fact that free speech was fundamentally right. stifled during lockdown right. you know so so these limited hangouts are a, a well tried and tested approach to reframing the narrative and and of course in the process what will happen is that that freedom of speech will be redefined in such a way that it becomes unrecognizable it's not about being able to say what you feel about having a free press and about having uh, journalists who uh, ask probing questions, um, as you know, the, I, I don't know if many many of you, I'm sure, will have seen the the video of Ben Scallon asking the question of the three ministers, including the, the Irish Prime Minister, at the uh, the press conference, and and the three of them just wandering off and ignoring. Right, the fact right, because they're not the used press. to it. <laughs> They're just not used to it, are they? Let, Jeff, let's let's hold that a second. Talking about Big Brother, we will come back and we have lots to say about Big Brother. Well, let's go to some news headlines. Be right back. We do have some big news. Listen up. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Washington's resurrecting its Russia playbook, warning Moscow could try to interfere with this year's presidential election. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley suffered an embarrassing defeat, losing to Donald Trump in her home state of South Carolina. And Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed to raid the city of Rafah, regardless of whether a ceasefire or hostage deal is agreed upon or not. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live.
We are indeed live and kicking. Just some uh, comments in reference to what Gemma was talking about in terms of the pub. Holly says, 100% Gemma. I am a pub person and found the whole experience utterly devastating for my old chums. A crowd of old boys who completely relied on the pub to keep their sanity. Six of them now dead. Oh, just it's a horrible, isn't it? But uh, the old traditions are being taken from us. Absolutely, they are. I am here with Jeffrey Peel, and we are discussing, well, many things, uh, including Elon Musk's uh, potential attempt at launching a new search engine. And uh, Jeff is talking about Elon Musk being a limited hangout. Talking of which, let's have a look at Big Brother Watch, Jeff. Some people have uh, similar criticisms, which we're going to get onto uh, in a short while, but they have a new campaign. The new campaign is um, about the introduction of mandatory digital ID. They say it would turn the public into walking barcodes rather than citizens living in a free society. And what Big Brother are asking for in their new campaign is they are fighting to give people a choice by putting a right to use non-digital ID in law. It would mean that services that require your ID, so from exa for example, from the tax office to estate agents, pretty much anywhere that you are doing some form of communication or business with, they would have to give you a choice as to whether to prove your identity online or offline. Jeff, what are your thoughts about that? Um, I think Big Brother Watch is one of a number of of, of these groups um, that you know they used to be referred to as the Tufton Street uh, think tanks. Uh, there's a there's a number of them. Um, they were typically associated with this is before 2020. They were associated with with the right. Uh, and uh, free markets and free speech and free thinking and all, all of those laudable things. I have to say that I was involved in the one of them, the Institute of Economic Affairs. Uh, I was a kind of media spokesperson for them, foolishly. I didn't get paid anything for this. <laughs> but, um, you know, I appeared in the media from time to time to, to sort of advocate some of the things that they, they, they were advocate, advocating for. But the, the problem with them is that clearly they're all funded by corporate interests and uh, you never quite know why it is that they're behaving in the way that they are. And the key thing is that during the lockdown period, most of them said absolutely nothing. And in fact, it was even worse than that. In, in the case of the Institute of Economic Affairs, they, they come out and say some terrible things about people who got involved in the freedom movement, just individuals. You know, in the case of Christopher Snowden, for example, he he blocked everybody, even including myself, you know, who used to work with him at the IEA. So I, I couldn't quite understand. But Big Brother Watch is another one of those uh, organizations. And the, the thing is, they're very, they tend not to be very open about their funding. Now, in the case of Big Brother Watch, probably because they're called Big Brother Watch, they do at least publish on their website who they're funded by. And one of the organizations that funds them is the Open Society Foundation, which, which of course, is George Soros's so-called philanthropic wing. Um, and so it seems utterly bizarre <laughs> that a, an organization called Big Brother Watch, who's supposedly protecting our interests in terms of privacy and so on, is funded by an organization like Soros. Now, it may be they're one of many organizations, and it might be that there's a huge pool of money that goes to lots and lots of organizations. And Silky Carlo, the the uh, director of, of Big Brother Watch, has said, well, you know, they're only a little player, you know, and I'm sure George Soros didn't sit around the table deciding what money was going to go where. But still, it really does stick in your crawl. This guy who acted to undermine the British economy 
who 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 shorts the pound at any opportunity, who who clearly has no interest in the in the success of the United Kingdom or the freedom of its citizens, should be funding an organisation supposedly protecting. Um, our our privacy interests. Now, I agree, obviously, with the idea that that we should have privacy, that we shouldn't have to use digital IDs. But if the reason behind this campaign is to prop up the interests of George Soros and 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 his currency speculation, it puts a big question mark over my head. You know, I just don't know why they're acting the way the way they are. Like you, Sonia, I am motivated ideologically. I believe fundamentally in freedom and liberty. I and I don't get any money to do this, you know. So I I, I really do suspect people when they behave in ways that uh, are clearly motivated by by money and corporatism. I think it's I think it's a fair point you raise because um, having looked at that, so Big Brother Watch Limited have received since twenty twenty. £300,000 from uh, George Soros. And as you say, Silky Carlos has actually, she made the comment, didn't she? She said, Open Society is a huge philanthropy organisation. It's not like George Soros sat at a desk and decided what money goes where. But that's hardly the point. I think what you're saying is really relevant, Jeff, and that is we need to know what is behind this particular campaign. Many There, ha there are critics of Big Brother saying they acted too late on so many things. Why did they suddenly start? talking about um, digital ID, digital passports, for example, when other organizations and people who, sources who speak to me were out there first doing the work. And uh, so I think there are questions about it. And we have to be able to ask questions, don't we, Jeff? Because surely sort funding is a crucial area of whether a organization or people may or may not be compromised. I mean, I think it's a fair question. I think it is, and particularly uh, a fair question to be asked of members of parliament as well, because so many of them are are captured by corporate interests, um, like, uh, and that would include uh, media interests as well. We, you know, Lee Anderson, for example, has been in the media over the last few days. You know, he's a he's a member of parliament. He's paid a, a fairly sizable salary. What is it, eighty six thousand pounds or yeah, something? That, that will be his receive. base. And then on yeah. top of that, obviously, he's got his GB News fee and all the other money that he's making that they do make. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, apparently he gets a hundred thousand pounds from from GB News and maybe speaking opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. But clearly, and and I know with this from personal experience. Many years ago, I was involved in the Conservative Party when it when I was young and thrusting and possibly could have been in a, uh, a, uh, an important politician, odd people would contact, you know, I remember speaking at the party conference once and these very odd shady characters come up to me and wanted to have a conversation with me. And they were talking about some super PAC that existed in America and that uh, some money could be made available to me, you know, if I would sort of essentially say the right things. So you're never sure of, uh, why it is that people want you to say the things that you do. And, and of course, right. what that does is it undermines the basis of your your argument because you want your argument to be based on, on what things you hold dear, the, what, you know, the right to free speech, the right to personal freedom. And if that's being paid for, those messages are being paid for by, by big corporate interests, then they, seek, they, they cease to have any validity.
I, I hear you. Of course, so what Big Brother uh, Big Brother Watch are asking you to do is tell the Secretary of State for Science, Innovation and Technology, which is Michelle Donnellan, to give you the legal right to say no to digital ID. And as Jeff said, in, in principle, of course, we want that. Absolutely. But what we all, all must be allowed to do is ask why is that being put forward now? Why perhaps wasn't it put forward before? You know, and uh, and I think these are all absolutely valid questions. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Very insightful as ever, Jeff. Totally appreciate your insight on these issues. Everybody, Jeffrey Peel on this Monday morning, give us, giving us an insight of what's going on behind the scenes. Take good care of yourself. I will be back shortly with my next guest. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. You all know Dr. Jill Biden. Of course, she's the first lady. Here she is humiliating herself while talking to Hispanic Americans. As distinct as the Bogodas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio. <laughs> so say it with me. A brain surgeon, apparently she's not. But she is a very selfish woman. She's the reason, I believe, that Joe Biden is being pressured to run for another term. Obviously, he can't handle it. I think she's selfish, and I'm not alone in thinking that. Kennedy of Fox News recently said the same thing. But Dr. Jill has gotten so addicted to the glitz mm -hmm. and the free dresses. And maybe they're not free. Yeah. They're very expensive dresses. Yeah. Uh, but the spotlights... The state dinners, mm -hmm. the private jet. I know it's Air Force One. Yeah. But, you know, the, the yeah, filthy, dirty people who fly Southwest, they're not on Air Force One. <laughs> She's got a house full of servants. Uh-huh. They cater to her whims. It's called elderly abuse, and I find Dr. Jill Biden guilty. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> Do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. See, Smokey thinks I'm funny. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. Oh, yes, indeed. I am here Monday and uh, just a bloke who asked questions who I met last week and was so lovely to do so. Good morning to you, sir. Says, I wrote to my MP asking him which problems digital ID and digital CBDCs actually solve. Received a pathetic party line response that I further challenged, but the reply has been deafening. Of course it has, because they have to stick together, don't they? So uh, brilliant to talk to Jeffrey Peel. And I completely agree with him. You know, the, these campaigns are all wonderful, but we also have to know who are funding them. Uh, you know, who's funding them? I think that is absolutely important. And it is our job around here to reveal that sort of information, talking about which I have a essentially a whistleblower who's joining me now, Graham Atkinson, somebody I've talked to several times in the past, long-serving health professional, 32 years, I believe, Graham, in the NHS or thereabout, ran a GP practice, ran a vaccine centre. Really good to see you here today with us, Graham. Thank you for joining us on the Sonia Poulton Show. Good morning, Sonia. Thank you for having me. 
Well, I'm really grateful and I'm particularly grateful because yesterday and I'm really I, I, my heart goes out to you, your mum died. And so for you to be showing up here today and uh, one of the things that you said to me was that you have to make sure that the last four years don't happen again. And uh, you did a video with Dr. Ahmed Malik and in which you apologise for any harms your work running a vaccine centre may have done. And I think it's particularly poignant for you. First of all, I'm so sorry about your mum, Graham. I'm so very sorry. Thank but it's particularly poignant that you pointed out to me that your dear mum was actually vaccine damaged. That's correct. I um, so, so after 32 career, 32 year career as a pharmacist, I, you know, I, I had my reservations back in December 2020 about the forthcoming COVID jabs. Um, you know, we didn't know a lot at that time, but I, I believed I knew enough to be extremely cautious, and I tried my best to alert people to that. But uh, ultimately, I failed on, you know, on a population level in my area in the northwest of the UK. A lot of people took the vaccine, and I failed also within my family, um, such that my my own mum, uh, my own mother-in-law, and some other members of my family all took the vaccines against my very very strong advice and i i was seen i was seen as a conspiracy theorist i was seen as an anti-vaxxer at the time but i was essentially just relaying my 32-year experience as a as a senior pharmacist um to say we we need to have extreme caution here so my my mum was vaccinated she had um i mean she did listen to me initially the the first three times her gp practice contacted her for the astrazeneca vaccine she declined on my advice but it was the fourth invite that she finally conceded i guess and gave in and um five days after her vaccination she had one of these blood clots in the base of the brain a cvst so it's a, a central venous sinus uh, thrombosis and she blacked out at home she fell she banged her head she she ended up in a and e um she was she probably could have died um but she survived and it took me probably three or four months to nurse her back to health you know we took her in um got her back to health did that eventually restore her back to her own house for about a year but then we she came and lived with us for about a year um but her health never never returned she had lots of complications memory uh fog brain fog and particularly lower leg problems she had very poor circulation in the lower legs and she passed away yesterday and I'm I'm grateful that her suffering is at an end um so that was my mum my my mother-in-law um very similar story but she had three Pfizer vaccines from a different practice and she a uh, very very fit healthy lady um in the early 80s but about a year ago now she started becoming very ill with um, uh, brain symptoms initially and nobody could work out what it was and then she had throat symptoms and they finally diagnosed a uh, esophageal cancer and it was one of these turbo cancers and from diagnosing it to her dying it was about 13 weeks um, so yes I've lost two members of my close family and I've I've been on all of their because they both lived with us actually my mum-in-law lived with us as well so I was their full-time care I was taking them to all of their appointments over the last couple of years, going to all the hospital appointments, and the whole system was completely at a blank uh, as, as to know what had happened to these two lovely ladies. And nobody, not once, asked about their vaccine history. But to me, it was obvious what was happening to them. But the system, 
either doesn't want to know or has been indoctrinated not to ask the question. Um, but I believe a lot of clinicians do know exactly what's going on, and I, I do have lots of evidence of that. There's an outpouring here for you, Graham, which I suspected there would be. Holly says, how awful. I'm so sorry for your loss. Zoe says, lots of love and light to you, Graham. Be kind to yourself. Peter Folder says, thank you for speaking out, Graham. Condolences to you. Trudy says, condolences to you, Graham, on the loss of your mum. So brave of you to be on the show so soon. Chris said, isn't this just terrible? Hounded till she took the shot. Um, and it goes on. And, uh, and, I, and I absolutely echo that sentiment. I think it's incredibly brave of you. And obviously what's happened is that like this bigger, bigger purpose has taken over you. So you've obviously taken a huge volume of criticism for what you've done. And yeah. uh, one of the things that you said on uh, Ahmed's uh, podcast was, I wish to apologize for any harm I've done. Anyone who has incurred harm from my actions as a partner and manager of a vaccine center, I tried to change it from inside. And when I realized I couldn't, I walked away. How did you try to change it from the inside? Because because you've just what you've just depicted to us is this unrelenting pressure that was put on your mum as one example. So it must have been even worse inside these hubs. Oh, absolutely. I, um, I mean, I saw through. I initially believed that, the, that there was a real hundred-year pandemic. My my NHS programming kicked in. I've, I've spoken about this before. So I was trained as a senior manager. I was one of the people who could do the sort of twelve-hour shifts in the bunker running the country when there's a national emergency. So. When Wuhan and Lombardy initially kicked in, I, I fell for it. The PSYOP worked on me, but it was about three or four weeks in that I realized it wasn't actually that at all. And I started speaking out towards the end of March 2020 on the inside. And privately, individuals would agree with me, but in groups, they wouldn't. And I, I eventually um, was asked to be quiet and to desist and just follow the, the government narrative. Uh, which I found very difficult to do. So I, I did want to leave initially early on in 2020, but my, including my my mum and my mum-in-law, you know, said, look, we need you to stay and earn a salary for the family. You know, you're going mad. And so I, I was being gaslit both inside the NHS wow. and outside. I was being silenced. And you do think you're going mad. You know, you do ask yourself all those questions. Am I really... Am I really uh, finding the truth here, or, or am I just have I been have I been captured by another force, you know, another another narrative? So that internal dialogue is going on the whole time, and and you know, eventually it comes to the point where you, the, the evidence before you is overwhelming that you are correct, and ultimately it was my my health, really, my mental health as much as anything that 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 left me um, no no choice but to leave. Um, so that was October twenty one. So I've, I've been speaking out on the outside since. I, I apologise to my. I, I live near Lancaster in the northwest of the UK, and I, my first public speaking engagement was in November 2020, where I apologised to my community. Um, so I have I've apologised many many times over the last three two three years, and um, I've had a lot of comments over the last couple of weeks after the Dr. Ahmed talk. I mean, most of them, the vast majority, very, very supportive. But uh, you know, quite a few people are quite rightly are saying, well, wh why are you apologizing, Graham? Because if you tried everything and you walked away having tried everything, then you've got nothing to apologize for. And I, I do see that. So, but I, I, and I have thought about it a lot over the weekend. And I think, you know, with my mum passing yesterday, I mean, ultimately, I am sorry I couldn't change things for everybody that I, I wanted to try and help. And that's my community, my family, you know, and I, I I do believe that many people 
in this life and who knows maybe in the next life might come i will meet them again and and they may well say you know you should have tried harder and that that's that's the regret i have sonia is that could i have done any more you know and mm. uh, i did a lot and it, it at great personal cost but you know i possibly could have done more and that's the doubt i have so that's why i'm apologizing that i you know i i, I couldn't stop everything that i wanted to do and also, it's very interesting that one of the things that you said on the Ahmed blog, and I just want to say that a, a lot of people, first of all, obviously, there's this massive backlash about uh, breathtaking, because one of the things is, and you've just talked about it, is how NHS staff are completely conditioned to believe things in a certain way. And it must be very difficult when you're in that environment. But one mm. of the things that you said on the Ahmed um, podcast, and I believe, I think you've said this to me before in interviews, you said, as a pharmacist, the logic made no sense. You were talking about how there were that uh, you knew in December 2020 you voted no. The, the these jabs had emergency use authorized, no clinical trial evidence. Didn't know what ing the ingredients were, and was supposed to change people's DNA. Um, and you said, as a pharmacist, it made absolutely no sense. And this is key. You said we, you knew we were going to have a mountain of autoimmune diseases. This is really shocking isn't it that you knew all that time ago and i know you've been speaking out i know absolutely but you are not alone there are other nhs staff who are still upholding this lie graham right absolutely i mean i, I you know I, I i've said that i knew and i and i've been thinking about that over the weekend i suppose i thought i knew but you doubt yourself don't you you know i think there was enough evidence enough um uncertainty uh, and enough precedent from previous you know jab products and drugs that have been launched to be cautious and uh, and that's what i was saying i mean I, ultimately i i respect people's right to choice and i i ran a vaccine center on the basis that everybody has a choice and i, I would defend choice to this day but i would say that choice has to be informed and it so consent, right. when consent is given, it has to be informed consent. And nobody, nobody in the whole world has had informed consent. No, nobody has had full disclosure of the, the contents, the mechanism of action, the likely side effects, because these things just weren't known then. And even today, they're still very uncertain, aren't they? We don't know the long-term effects no, beyond five years. So, so as a, that's why as a pharmacist, I was saying we need to be cautious here. And, and ultimately, prior, you know, prior to the jab, that we didn't need a jab. The, the whole whatever happened in April um, 2020 around the world, it had disappeared completely from the metrics by, um, by uh, mid-May 2020. And that's what I was shouting very loud inside my practice, was that the, the additional deaths, the excess deaths have gone. And and it's very concerning now to hear the Office of National Statistics and others. I was just you know, going to bring you to that, right? Yeah, so we're rebasing. They're rebasing the data, aren't they? They're they're, they're just rewriting history here. They're saying, you know, the the because I've been shouting very loudly, you know, since the the back end of 2020, we've had a um, uh, about somewhere in the in uh, in the region about a thousand excess deaths a week. Um, and the majority of those are at home. So these, by definition, are unexpected deaths, and they are, by and large, in people under 50, under 60, certainly. And the the idea that we had to protect the NHS and protect our elderly, vulnerable people, that, that you know, I can understand that, but that, that need disappeared by April 2020. And what we've done... And I know you've spoken to this about some other some of your other guests. I believe there's a controlled demol demolition of our health service underway, 
Um, and, you know, that's a, a wider topic, but I think this is all part of it. It's, you know, the NHS, and I, I feel very sorry for the people in it, you know, and I want to be very clear. I'm not criti necessarily criticising people in the system. I'm criticising the system that they're in. Um, and I think there's a lot of people trapped there who want to speak out but can't, and I really feel for those people. It's very easy for us from the outside, isn't it, to say, well, we all have to, and I do say this, we all have to keep a roof over our heads, we all, all have to eat, so people shouldn't remain silent. But that doesn't allow for the fact that there's this huge amount of conditioning that has taken place within. And there are, it's not just all doctors, is it? It's not just all doctors with great salaries, it's also the hospital right. staff themselves, you know, all the sort of key workers. And these are people who rely on that. But it's a difficult one, Graham, isn't it? But do you think that the because the, the, the only way that I can get around it is to believe that the vast majority of NHS staff actually aren't clued up. Yeah, it's it is a difficult one. I think I think initially we you know the vast majority were conditioned and brainwashed to go along with the narrative. It's it's a very you know it was a military grade psyop, wasn't it? On a population yes. level, and and inside the NHS, it's probably even more so. You know, every single email, every single document you see every meeting you attend, it's reinforcing the narrative. And anybody that speaks differently is very rapidly dealt with, you know, and, and excluded from that conversation or, or, you know, made to leave altogether. Um, so people are, it, it is a huge, huge echo chamber, you know, people, and, and people see what they look for, don't they? You know, if you, if you yes, believe you're that sort of virus, confirmation bias, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So the, in the early days, I mean, you know, the PCR test is total rubbish as well. Yeah. But before before we had tests, um, the diagnostic criteria for a COVID case were extremely, you know, I would say flimsy. And, you know, based on, you know, a five minute or maybe even a two minute phone call, a doctor was diagnosing COVID over the phone with, say, a care home uh, assistant, you know, because, you know, Gladys in, in, in the bed had a, a cough. Or what type of cough? How long she had it for? Oh, that sounds like right. COVID. Right. But it. But so Gladys was a COVID case, and she, and there was no treatment at all. But Mary in the bed next door, she got to visit. She got antibiotics. She got steroids, and she got TLC and human contact. Right. And, right. You know, one one died and one didn't, and it was medical neglect that killed. You know, the COVID case. Yeah. You know, and I what about? That. Yeah, absolutely. What about in the long term? Because you could even see back then this was going to create a mountain of autoimmune diseases. What about in the long term? The died suddenly, they're not a coincidence, are they? No. Well, I, I was seeing the effects, even before the jab effects, the effects of lockdown itself and just the fear, you know, the, the fear mongering that was going around. What was killing people? I mean, there's, there's clear data in the ONS data set that shows that the, um, there was a huge spike in, in deaths uh, for mental health conditions and dementia and cancer in the week two of lockdown. So this is this is end of March 2020. There were no jabs. Uh, and these are people who died not with a COVID diagnosis. These were people who died of cancer, of mental health conditions, of, of dementia. And the reason those people died, Sonia, is because the system shut down and wasn't there for them in their time right. of need. And, and right. I think the fear, I mean, fear kills. So, I, you know, I... You know, fear is the virus in my in my view. You know, that's that was the contagion that went around the world, and it and it propagated a a lot of deaths then, and then they've continued since. And the it's the cardiovascular deaths now that we're seeing. You know, predominantly in the sort of middle aged people. Right. Those are the 
those are the excess deaths that are now being massaged out of the system. Right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, particularly given your news. We send so much sort of love to you, Graham. Thank you so much for speaking out. It's truly appreciated. This is Graham Atkinson, who is just doing a public service as far as I'm concerned. This has been Monday's um, episode of Sonia Poulton Show on today's News Talk TNT. We will be back tomorrow, Tuesday. Stick around. Abby Roberts coming up. Thank you so much to my phenomenal guests as ever. And you, wonderful you, take good care of yourself. See you tomorrow.